Dear friends, today we're going to look at the question of our duty to resist this apostasy taking place in the church today. But before I go into some kind of a detailed look at this question, I just want to remind ourselves of some, some basic rules which we must uh, have before our eyes as we confront this present crisis. The, uh, firstly, that the crisis in the church does not mean that it's a free-for-all for people to uh, say and think as they please. Uh, today we see somewhat of a proliferation of well-meaning lay people and sometimes uh, clergy who take it upon themselves to instruct others without themselves uh, really being that well informed either uh, in the faith or in the, uh, the question of uh, church teaching. So I think a basic minimum should be that such people or to have a profound knowledge of the church's history, philosophy and dogmatic teachings uh, before they go about claiming to teach others and they ought to make sure that they at least do have some authority that they are accountable to. Uh, having to answer to nobody uh, is a very dangerous thing especially for those who claim to be teaching others. Uh, secondly, the crisis in the church uh, is not a, a, a free pass for us to uh, criticize the uh, shortcomings of the hierarchy or the clergy or anyone for, for that matter. Uh, that is not uh, what uh, our criticism or our resistance is about. It's about uh, the doctrinal deviations, not about the criticizing the personal shortcomings of others. That's, that's for those who are their superiors to do. Uh, and this means that uh, as Catholics, we may never judge the undeclared interior motives of any individual. Uh, that's not our role, and that's not a prerogative that God has given to us. The work of resisting a wayward hierarchy is founded not on our personal opinion, but on the deposit of the faith and the constant teaching of the Church. This also means, then, that all criticisms must be made in a manner that is respectful of the authority that is being questioned. And that in, in this aspect, we must always maintain a great reverence, love and respect for the clerical state, regardless of uh, the cleric or the, the one in authority who has deviated from the faith. We must keep in mind today uh, that the greater bulk of those who are in error are, are often in error, more so out of ignorance than malice. And so just simply it means that we ought to have a greater charity uh, towards them and uh, in our dealings with them and the understanding of that reality without, uh, um, uh, you might say, giving in in any way to their error. Now, as regards to the duty to resist, if we've already said quite clearly that we have a duty to hold on to the deposit of the faith, then by a natural default, we have a duty to reject any uh, thing or anyone that goes against uh, uh, this uh, reality. The Archbishop uh, Lefebvre famously once said that the master stroke of Satan uh, in our day is to have succeeded in sowing disobedience to all of tradition in the name of obedience. Now, if we take a step back and we look at uh, the uh, question of uh, the declaration of papal infallibility, we can see how this uh, reality came about because once the, the Church declared, and rightly so, uh, uh, the declaration of papal infallibility, uh, this uh, sort of 
gave the the the, the papacy uh, a very um, uh, esteemed aurora about it, and so even the the um, the non uh, uh, statements of the Pope that were non we can say non declarative of papal infallibility that they were not engaging uh, infallible acts. Uh, Nevertheless, his liturgical acts or his exegetical acts or canonical decisions came to be considered almost so perfect um, that they, they could not err. And so the popes uh, seemed to take on almost uh, a, a, you know, a great aurora around them and their actions as a result of this. And this, this worked out good uh, in some aspects as far as uh, the, the Catholics rallied around uh, the pope uh, in their combat against the, the revolutionary ideas of the French Revolution and against the liberal Catholics uh, in the first half of the 19th century and against the Protestants who rejected uh, this question of the papacy and papal infallibility. But like anything, it's always a two-edged sword. It, it came back to, to um, uh, this exaggerated notion of the papacy, came back uh, to bite uh, us Catholics when many of the progressive elements uh, uh, within the church were instilled into the hierarchy. Uh, it worked to serve as a, a tool for, we can say, self-destruction for the church. While it's true to say that uh, when uh, we obey something that is good, this is truly noble and, and praiseworthy, but false obedience to a legitimate superior can be detrimental and even sinful if it goes against the faith and morals. And this is something that seems to be have forgotten today. Today, many have mistakenly made of obedience an end in itself. Obedience is only good or bad depending on what you obey. Uh, for this reason, St. Thomas Aquinas himself states that sometimes the things commanded by a superior are against God. Therefore, superiors are not to be obeyed in all things. And St. Bernard, on this aspect, says that he who does evil because he has been commanded does not perform an act of obedience, but rather of rebellion. He upsets the order. He neglects obedience to God in order to obey men. And uh, you know, in this aspect of laws and obedience, Pope Leo the, the, the thirteenth explains that where the power to command is wanting, or where a law is enacted contrary to reason, or to the eternal law, or to some ordinance of God, obedience is unlawful, lest while obeying man we become disobedient to God. In another place, the same Pope explains that there is no reason why those who so behave themselves should be accused of refusing obedience, for if the will of a ruler is opposed to the will and the laws of God, they themselves exceed the bounds of their power and pervert justice, nor can their authority then be valid, which, when there is no justice, is null. In this aspect, refusing obedience to a particular command of a lawful superior does not imply and does not mean that we reject their authority. And this point should be obvious, but seems to have been forgotten by so many today. In a time when the faith is being undermined continuously by the ravening wolves in the hierarchy, all the way to the very highest ranks within the church, the faithful are more than justified in resisting uh, them in their exercise of authority without, however, denying the, their authority to rule. In expounding on this point long ago, the famous uh, priest Father Don Salvani in his book, uh, which is quite well known, Liberalism is a Sin, 
it makes this point uh, as regards the role of the laity. It says the faithful are permitted and even commanded to give a reason for their faith, to draw out its consequences, to make its application of it, to deduce parallels and analogies from it. It is thus by use of their reason that the faithful are enabled to suspect and measure the orthodoxy of any new doctrine presented to them by comparing it with a doctrine already defined. If it be not in accord, they can combat it as bad and justly stigmatize a book or journal which sustains it. They cannot, of course, define it as cathedra, but they can lawfully hold it as perverse and declare it as such. They can warn others against it, raise the cry of alarm, and strike the first blow against it. The faithful layman can do all this, and has done it at all times with the applause of the church. Nor in doing so does he make himself the pastor of the flock, nor even its humblest attendant. He simply serves it as a watchdog who gives the alarm. And a classical example, if you want, of this is uh, that which is cited by Dom uh, Goranjay in his liturgical year and his reference to St. Eusebius, who uh, during the 4th century uh, was a, a, a layman, simple layman, when hearing the words of the bishop, uh, the heretical bishop uh, Nestorius, uh, affirm openly from the pulpit uh, that Mary was not the mother of God, uh, Don Prosper points out that it was uh, Eusebius, a simple layman, who rose to give expression to the general indignation and protested uh, against this impiety. This generous attitude was the safeguard of Byzantium and won the praise of the popes and the councils. When the shepherd becomes a wolf, the first duty of the flock is to defend itself. And this is uh, certainly the attitude we must have today. In conclusion, I just want to quote the, the, the beautiful and encouraging, encouraging words of Archbishop Lefebvre in his well-known text, The Open Letter to Confused Catholics. He says, We are attached to the Pope for as long as he echoes the apostolic traditions and the teachings of all of his predecessors. It is uh, uh, the very definition of the successor of Peter that he is the keeper of this deposit. This is why we are submissive and ready to accept everything that is in conformity with our Catholic faith, as it has been taught for 2,000 years, but we reject everything that is opposed to it. In the Church, there is no law <clears throat> or jurisdiction which can, can impose on a Christian a, a diminution of his faith. All the faithful can and should resist whatever interferes with their faith, supported by the catechism uh, of their childhood, if they are faced with uh, an order putting their faith in danger uh, of corruption, there is an overriding duty to disobey. <clears throat> it is because we judge our faith is endangered by the post-conciliar reforms and tendencies that we have a duty to disobey and keep the tradition. Let us add uh, this, that the greatest service we can render the Church and to the successor of Peter is to reject the reformed and liberal church. Jesus Christ, Son of God made man, is neither liberal nor reformable. And this, dear friends, this should be our attitude uh, in this time of confusion and apostasy. Amen.